Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Jesus was not a therapist. Since the 1960s, the church has gone to the end of the earth to make Jesus the great therapist. Actually, the thing that is most difficult for me, most disturbing to me, particularly in the day in which we are live, living, is, is the way that certain groups of people will make Jesus into anything they want. It's leading with ego. This is what I want, so by golly, I paint it right on the front of Jesus, and, and I make him into what I want, rather than into who he truly is and what he wants from me. It is true that Jesus made many uncomfortable people comfortable, I think of the woman caught in the very act of adultery. I've always kind of wondered, you know, who are these priests that go around looking into windows caught in the very act of adultery, and then they bring her to Jesus. And after all of that encounter, and the one without sin cast the first stone, uh, then Jesus is standing there alone with this woman. Who is it that condemns you? No one, sir. Neither do I. Neither do I. Jesus, the face of God, I do not come with condemnation. Jesus finally was probably best described as an answer to God's bad reputation. God doing all kinds of nasty stuff and demanding all kinds of sacrifice and all, he's No, this is not the way of it. He loves us unconditionally. The declaration of the inclusive love of God. That's the whole gospel wrapped up in one sentence. So Jesus gave good comfort to many people, and that woman, uh, for sure. However, the therapist's license of Jesus was revoked when he mostly made those comfortable uncomfortable. Any simple reading of the gospel makes me uncomfortable in many places. Uncomfortable. It was Philip Rife who predicted the triumph of the therapeutic in the church way back in the 1960s. He said this way back in 1966. He said he predicted that the Christian faith would be tamed into self-help therapy, salvation reduced to feeling good, and the church transformed into theater, Sunday sermons as emotional striptease, liturgy as psychodrama, church music as entertainment, and no prophet left to denounce the narcissism of the age. I don't know about you, but that sure makes me uncomfortable, especially 
given the fact that I lived through that time and I know exactly what we were saying and what we gave ourselves to at that particular time, the narcissism of that time. Now, how we get a therapist out of the kind and loving, revolutionary, cynic, sage of Israel is beyond me. I don't know how we do that. But some people think that they know enough to do that. Who do others say that I am? John the Baptist, Elijah, prophet. Who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah. Now, I've got to lift up to you, what did Peter have in mind when he said, you are the Messiah? Now, they had three Messiahs before Jesus, and wouldn't you expect the one that you just named the Messiah, wouldn't your expectations be the same as the three Messiahs in the Old Testament? Saul, David, Solomon. They were the ones who led people out of bondage, who killed enemies. Don't you remember that troubling phrase there in 1 Samuel? Where suddenly uh, David, young David coming on up, you know the David story, ooh, and the giant and all, really good stuff. And Saul, and Saul gets jealous of David and the spirit goes out of him. Boy, could we ever remember something about that? It went out of, the spirit that was on Saul, it went out of him when he got jealous. And so here you have David now. And they would say of David as he was rising to power, well, Saul, <laughs> he would only kill thousands. David kills tens of thousands. Now, if Saul, David, and Solomon did that as messiahs, what the heck do you think they were expecting by laying that label on Jesus? Finally, we're going to get these Romans off our back. You're not going to be pushing me around any longer, and we're going to have some salvation here that's going to be good. You are setting your mind, said Jesus, not on divine things, but on human things. That's when Peter rebukes him. Those human things were, man, oh man, we're finally going to get the Old Testament dudes that went and killed a lot of people, and right now, hopefully, it's going to be these Romans. It seems that uh, Peter, and I would say the church, has a hearing problem. The church has the same kind of hearing problem that Peter had. You know, we just bow down very quickly to power or feeling powerful or being the largest this or doing these big things. We kind of fall down there, you know. But there's a hearing problem. I heard about it husband and wife that were getting together they were both 90 uh, they'd been married I believe it was 60 years might have been longer than that even and they got together and you know the family was there to uh, bring the cake out and all and they finally turned to him and said don't you want to say something to your wife after all these years he said yes I do he said you are tried and true she said what he said, I said, you're tried and true. 
She said, I can't hear you. Say it again a little louder. You are tried and true. She said, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> Hearing problem. But that's us. Unwilling or unable to hear the word of God that has both suffering and salvation. Oh, they love the salvation part. We're going to get us a Messiah. And some people are going to die. Especially that guy that made me carry his robe for two miles last week. I'm going to start with him. Jesus is going to lead us there. Salvation. No, salvation turned out to be a little bit different than what they thought. Something quite different. Because the salvation of which he talks about has some suffering in it. The inevitable thing that's going to happen to all of us in this life. I was the boy that was told by my mother, do all the good things, nothing bad will happen to you. And boy, it was really a strange day when bad things happen because mom said that wasn't going to happen. You see, we make Jesus into the therapist that we want, the kind counselor. But any time that we make Jesus our kind therapist, trust me, you cannot hear the word of God that is both salvation and suffering, oftentimes, on the same day. I remember when my son Rich came to me and discovered Victor Frankl, who wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning. He was the one who invented logotherapy, is what he called it. He was a survivor of the death camps. He came out of the death camps and then was, became very popular after that time, and people wanted him to speak all over the world. They wanted to hear from him. And so it was in the early 1950s. There was a, a man, he was the Bill Nelson of the church I served in Ohio. I say that with all due respect to both of these men. Roy Burkhart was just this amazing guy. And so it was about in 1952, he invited Victor Frankl to come and speak at the church that he was serving and wanted him to come. And Frankl said, okay, yeah, I'd like to do that. And then Frankl went and called him a week before and he said, you know, it just dawned on me. Um, your people are Christians. You know, and I'm Jewish. That might offend them. And Burkhart said the right thing by calling him back and saying, look, Victor, you come here. The leader of our church was Jewish. You just come, and we will receive you gladly. So the part that got to my son that I've quoted many times to many other people, you know, it, you know, I've talked to some of you here about what you thought early in life, you know, Joe and I are talking about right after he got his doctorate, he knew everything. So did I. I was 27. I knew everything. You should have known me then. I could have helped you. Right now I'm 80 and I don't know anything. I don't know anything. And have slowly given in to the mystery of the whole thing. And it's a lot better life living the questions than giving answers that don't hold up in life. But I, I digress. It was um, 
Frankel who, who said, don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you are going to miss it. For success, like happiness, cannot be pursued. It must ensue, and it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a, to a cause greater than oneself or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. Happiness must happen, and the same holds for success. You have to let it happen by not caring about it. I want you to listen to what your conscience commands you to do and go on to carry it out to the best of your knowledge. And then you will live to see that in the long run, in the long run, I say, success will follow you precisely because you had forgotten to think of it. Frankel said that in Vienna in 1983. His passing was in 1997. That was the key moment of transformation for my son, who the world would say is quite successful, but it was only after he forgot about trying to be successful that something like success came to him. You know, people come to church today, oftentimes consumer-driven, picking and choosing their spirituality, one that makes them feel good, Roman Catholics go crazy by saying, you know, you can't uh, come. This is not a smorgasbord here to pick and choose. you got to take the whole thing. Some priests get really upset. The church has become, for many people, another supermarket. Um, no check against our tendency toward deceit and self-deception. They just come, pick up on whatever they want along the way. It used to be that people were not honest about that. They just came to a church that, uh, and many you'd suspect it came because uh, it was something that really kind of helped them. They had selfish reasons coming there. But I found uh, in time in my own career that people would come to me and say, well, Dick, good to see you, buddy. We're just church shopping. We're just church shopping. We, we might be here. We might not be here. And uh, that's what they would say. I remember the story about a man um, who was a, a Texan who bought 10 ranches and he made a merger of them. Is the Circle Q, the Rambling Brook, the Double Bar, the Broken Circle, uh, the Crooked Creek, uh, the Golden Horseshoe, the Lazy Bee, the Bent Arrow, the Sleepy T, the Triple O Ranch? Wow, one guy said, I'll bet you have, have a lot of cattle. He says, no, not really. He says, not many of them survived the branding. The church won't survive the branding of a feel-good cult. Yes, 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 yes. Come as you are, yes. Come as you are. And we will sit close together as together we move through all of the chances and changes, the good parts, the bad parts of life, you know, I was just reading this this uh, last week. 
there is a uh, Jewish rabbi uh, woman uh, who has brought in a new tradition. I, I sat there reading this, and I just got chills as I was reading this. Let's see if I would describe it in, in this room. She uh, dusted off an old tradition. You know, in, in the, every congregation in America, some good things are happening, some bad things are happening along the way, and we all come together and all. And she had a, a process that they would do in the middle of the week. Uh, they would come when, and all of those experiencing something joyous would come through that door over there. We'd mark it right there. There you go. And over here, those who are experiencing difficult things, you come through this door over here. And they would come into the room and they would form a circle and they would pass by each other. Kind of concentric circle. And as they had the concentric circle finally formed, the people that came from the joyous part of life said to others, well, what happened to you? Tell me what happened. And they would listen. They would listen. I thought, what a wonderful image of a faith community that comes with their joys and challenges. Boy, let me tell you, in my own life, I think most of the time I came through that door. But boy, I remember the time that I came through that door with all the pain in the midst of things that I was very sorry for and was lifted by the everlasting arms of friendship that made all the difference. Robert Bella and colleagues wrote one time a book called Habits of the Heart. They said, Americans once had three languages. I found this very interesting, and it's so true. It's biblical. The second is the republic language. The third is the individual language. The individual is the language of self-reliance. You know, I've made friends with myself. I've really kind of found my way in the world, and I'm kind of feeling good about myself. The republic is the language of the civic world the common moral good. Yeah, we're glad you're feeling good, Dick, but you know, there's some good that needs to be done in the world, in our community, in your country. And then there's biblical, he said, Jewish and Christian symbols from the Bible. And then Bella concluded by saying, we have lost all language but the individual. We speak now only in the dialect of therapy and human potential and therapeutic language is too weak to carry the freight. It was Karl Barth who came to our country, uh, to America, and as an eminent theologian in the 20th century. He came to New York City, and they said, oh, we're so glad to see you, and they were ready to show him all around and take him to all kinds of places. And um, they said to him, and uh, where would you like to go, Dr. Barth? He said, um, Take me to your prisons. He had a marvelous ministry in prisons in Germany. He wrote his famous book, Release to the Captives. He says, Take me to your prisons. But Dr. Barth 
why do you why do you want to go there because that will tell me more about you as a people than all of the other places you will take me I'm going into prison tomorrow night to practice meditation not teach meditation to practice it with those we call oftentimes the scum of the earth and I'm here to tell you it's a terrible thing that we do in placing people in cages and poking them with a stick and 18 years later expecting them to come out as good human beings our system is pathetically broken and all we can do is not complain you know I'm powerless but we can light one candle on Monday nights to remind them of God's love for them and meditate together it was Barthi who attacked therapeutic preaching in his day. He says, people come to church not for mere help with their personal problems, but rather for something with some kind of size. People long for faith with size to be able to hold us. Or as that wonderful writer said at one time, God is both holy and God is firm. God is firm. So why do we come here? We seek transcendence, I think. I do, I do. Man, I'm not enough. I need to transcend any of those selfish questions I might have. Something bigger than stocks and bonds and bottom lines and winning and losing. Something bigger than getting more of what I have enough of. Something bigger. Lots bigger than the clubs I've been in, the alma maters, the achievements, the IRAs, the 401ks, plaques on the wall. I got a bunch of them. They're meaningless. You know, it was Garrison Keeler who attends an Episcopal church in New York City right now with his lovely wife. And uh, he goes regularly. And he said, a long time ago, he was at an Episcopal church out on Long Island. And he said, you know something? If you come to church each Sunday and in the hour, if there's just one thing spoken from the heart, the whole hour will be worth it. Absolutely. What a blessing. One thing spoken from the heart. So what does self-transcendence look like without pointing to Mother Teresa for the obvious answer? Some people just get really tired about dragging her on out there. I remember Tony Campolo was, was walking along with her in Haiti one time, and Tony started saying to her, hey, look, look at these suffering people. You know, how, how, do, you, how do you, you know, put this together with a good God? She said, when I get to heaven, God's got some explaining to do. Boy, wouldn't you hate to be God? <laughs> With Mother Teresa pointing her finger in your face. But there's another guy by the name of Will Campbell. 
who challenged the state and the Christian faith. There was one guy that came to him who said, I don't believe any of this stuff that you're part of. Will Campbell, growing up in the South, right in the midst of the Ku Klux Klan, his dad was a part of that and others were, he finds his way in church, goes off to uh, this liberal uh, seminary up, up north at Yale University and comes on back. And so he's dealing with uh, the way that um, he was brought up and some new light that has come to him and trying to put it all together. And he said, sometimes I would have to suffer through some worship services in the morning. And he said, then I would go to a black church at night and restore my soul. And oftentimes, on the way back from restoring his soul, he would go to the hospital and call on all of his dad's old friends in the Ku Klux Klan. He was a guy maybe as much or more than anyone that I've ever heard about who put together his enlightenment and his open heart for those he grew up with transcending belief and giving the human the human heart that he had. So this one guy challenged him one time. He says, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a believer. He says, <clears throat> tell you what, why don't you just summarize the Christian faith in 10 words for me? <clears throat> Campbell thought for a moment, then he said, um, we're all bastards, but God loves us anyway. The guy stood back and said, well, that's pretty good. But you got two words left. He said, I don't need them. We're all bastards. God loves us anyway. The result of him taking all that he learned along the way and bringing it with open heart to those that believed exactly the opposite of himself. Oh, I dream of some of that coming. Transcending our own beliefs and seeing every human face as our brother and sister. So what do we want? Uh, we want happiness, of course. How do we get it? By not seeking it directly said Frankel, and he was right. It is by, a, it's a product of loving, serving, and compassion beyond our own selves. And so it was Bill Coffin that said to me personally one time, well, Richard, I want to tell you that the smallest package in the world is a human being wrapped up in themselves. Smallest package. And I might add, the most unhappy people among us. Well, the facts of life are these. Life is not fair. That's true. Life is difficult. It's true. Life becomes easier when we admit it is difficult. Yes, that's true for me. God does not intend or create evil. God will have the last word on your life 
when we sing in this place on Easter, made like him, like him will rise. We will be singing the greatest truth, the greatest mystery of all. When the inclusive love of God for all people becomes the first and last word of the church today, the church in America will have discovered fire for the second time since Pentecost. Let us pray. Eternal loving God, we praise you for this place where we can reflect on the gospel, where we can privately admit to ourselves and sometimes to others how much we fail that. But we discover, we discover that if we're honest about how we fail your word so often, and if we will just keep coming back to this place and repeating that word, we find that we are slowly moved towards your kingdom goal without even knowing it, if we dare to keep showing up. Bless us this day, eternal God, not in the way that we ask, but in the way we need. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.